Welcome to the Shari Tzedek Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Here you'll find a live recording of just about every sermon, Devar Torah, teaching, or story from our Arab Shabbat and High Holy Day services. We know that you wish you could be with us more often, and we understand life getting in the way is not a bad thing. To live Jewishly is to understand that just as important as it is that Judaism happens in the synagogue, it's even more important to live Jewishly in your home and on your way. So here we are, in your home, on your way, maybe even on your morning run. If you ever have any questions or want to continue the discussion, let one of us know, and make sure you check out our live stream and YouTube channel for more ways that Shari Tzedek is available to you on demand. Keep an eye on your shofar and email so that when you're able, you can be with us as well. Looking forward to seeing you soon. One of the most wonderful things I get to experience as a rabbi is guiding our students through the process of leading a bar or bat mitzvah service. Now, it's hard to say that a 13-year-old is fully an adult, because we know you still need to drive them places, but seeing them put so much work into reciting the prayers of our tradition, into bringing the words of our sacred Torah to life from the scroll, and teaching their own Torah brings into focus the committed Jewish adults that they will become. And one of the highlights of that experience, for me at least, is taking the Torah out of the ark and passing it from the hands of grandparents, from grandparents to parents, who then put it in the arms of their child. I tell them what I've heard Rabbi Simon say so many times, that this moment represents a promise they are making to pass on the Torah to the next generation. And think about this. There are so many ways that we could honor that special moment, but we hand our children our precious legacy. We give them a scroll, a book, a book with the stories that make the Jewish people who we are. And we know that the passing down of those stories is what keeps our people alive. And those who are not such big fans of the Jewish people, have known this as well. Which is why, for so much of our history, there have been those who have sought to harm us by taking away our books. In the year 1240, in Paris, four of France's greatest rabbis were forced to defend the Talmud, that compilation of generations of rabbinic argument and law, the crown jewel of rabbinic Judaism. The church feared the Talmud as heretical, and worse, an obstacle to converting Jews to Christianity. By many accounts of the disputation, these French rabbis were successful in defending not just the Talmud, but Jewish tradition as a whole. And I'm sure we shouldn't be surprised to find out that the merits of the rabbis' arguments were meaningless to their opponents. Two years later, 24 wagon loads of handwritten Talmud manuscripts, estimated to be about 10,000 volumes, were burned in front of Paris City Hall. Rabbi Meir of Rothenburg, known as the Maharam, witnessed this spectacle. Of it, he wrote, My tears formed a river that reached to the Sinai Desert, and to the graves of Moses and Aaron. 
Is there another Torah to replace the Torah which you have taken from us? But we know that the stories of our people lived on, even when the books had been turned to ash. In the 1930s in Germany, when the Nazis realized that they could not burn the stories, they began to burn the people. Of course, they also burned the books for good measure. My hope, though, is that the Maharam would be comforted to know that we are here, our community, and each of us as a living embodiment of Torah, carrying those stories forward still into the future. But history, like poetry, often rhymes. In light of yesterday being International Holocaust Remembrance Day, I have been troubled by a growing trend of states and school districts here banning books from school libraries and curricula. One Texas state lawmaker compiled a list of 850 books he would like preemptively removed from Texas's schools, which include books about human rights, sex education, and of course, any book with LGBTQ representation. These are the trial balloons that are being let loose. Now, this isn't totally new. Calling for books to be banned has precedent in American history, and sometimes they were burned as well. Comic books in the 30s and 40s for corrupting the youth, books by authors accused of communist ties and the McCarthyist Fuhrer of the 50s. We probably all remember parents trying to keep Harry Potter off of library shelves for promoting witchcraft, and that was admittedly kind of funny. They're still doing that. For a long time, there has been a steady drumbeat of some parents asking for certain books to be banned. But Deborah Caldwell Stone, director of the American Library Association's Office for Intellectual Freedom, suggests, and I quote, we've never had this volume of challenges come in such a short time. This is an organized effort, and the targets this time are clear. One book in the headlines this week has been Mouse, which some of you may have heard of. Art Spiegelman's graphic novel depicting his interviews with his parents about being a Polish Jew and a survivor of the Shoah, the Holocaust. It also happens to be the only graphic novel to win a Pulitzer Prize so far. It is a moving depiction of the horrors of the Shoah and a reminder of the cruelty that humans can inflict on other humans when given the chance. We know that books like this are a part of the way we ensure that something like the Shoah does not happen again. We know that letting our children read books like this is a part of ensuring they understand painful historical truths and that they are prepared for difficult times. Our people's history has taught us this. And on January 10th, two weeks before International Holocaust Remembrance Day, the school board in McMinn County, Tennessee, removed Mouse from their curriculum. Their argument was that the book is too adult-oriented, that it uses eight instances of profanity, contains some nudity, and depicts violence 
and suicide. If the concern is children being insulated from things that they deem inappropriate or too adult, I sure hope their children aren't watching TV, using the internet, talking to their friends, or God forbid, reading the Bible. Do you even know what's in that thing? Not for kids. But our kids can handle a lot more than we can imagine. Now, to be fair, the school board said that they would look for an alternative, but they admitted that they had nothing lined up and would probably just have the teacher skip the Holocaust module of their curriculum altogether. But what kind of family-friendly account would satisfy them? I will remind us that we are talking about depictions of genocide. No, we know why this book was banned. And it's the same reason that many of the proposed bans are for books written by black, Latino, and LGBTQ individuals voicing their experiences with discrimination and disadvantage. Hearing stories of the suffering of oppressed and marginalized groups makes people uncomfortable. And that's the point. They are meant to make us uncomfortable. No one should walk away from anything about the Shoah, about slavery, about homophobia and transphobia feeling good there are times when it is our obligation to feel bad, to stare hate and cruelty in the face and know them deeply so we can fight them before they take root and not when it's too late. Stories like these force us to see that no one's history is as innocent as we imagine, that there are wrongs from the past that must be righted, they remind us that this world is not yet whole when one group cries out in misery and no one listens. But God always listens. That is what our Torah teaches us this week as we read Mishpatim, a code of law outlining how people are meant to relate to each other in civil society. Among discussions of the punishment for a rebellious son, and what to do when your bull runs through a china shop, so to speak, we find this. You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress them, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or, or, or orphan. If you do mistreat them, I will heed their cries as soon as they cry out to me, and my anger shall blaze forth and I will put you to the sword. This short passage holds deep meaning. It calls us to offer special care to those on the outskirts of society who would so often be ignored, and grounds this in the idea that our people, the Jewish people, know what it is like to be under the boot. More than that, it assures us that God hears the cries of the downcast clearly and immediately, even when their society has let them down. Even when we put cotton in our ears, when we cover our eyes because someone else's pain or the possibility that we may be complicit in their pain is too much to bear, God hears and sees them 
and will respond in kind. When we take stories of slavery, of discrimination on the basis of race or sexual orientation, of mass murder, of the depths of human evil, when we take those off the shelves, out of the hands of our children, we silence those cries. And that silence can only lead to more hate, more oppression, more death. Mouse is one book among many that coordinated campaigns will try to hide from our children in the months to come. We know where this goes. The good news is that telling a teenager that they can't read a book is the best way to get them to read it. These books aren't going anywhere. The bad news is that once those who live lives of hate realize that they can't ban the stories, they'll start to ban the storytellers. And we know that when they come for one of us, they come for all of us. So what can we do? Buy banned books, borrow them from the library, read them and teach them. Don't let the stories of human potential for terrible things go unheard. We ensure our children's future when we arm them with knowledge. Ignorance cannot protect anyone. Speak the history of our people. Speak of it in your home and on your way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Tell it to your children, your friends. Tell anyone who will listen. Never stop shouting our story, because we know what it means to stop telling it. Our stories keep us alive. And like God, we must listen to those who live in fear, their cries of sorrow, of injustice, of insecurity. The kind of cries that we all raised two weeks ago for Colleyville. It will hurt. It always hurts to feel the pain of another. But that's called empathy, and that's what makes us human. Hear them, cry alongside them, and let it move you step by step to build a world where no one prospers from another's misery. May God make us uncomfortable so that we can never ignore the cry of a fellow living, breathing human being. Only then, only then, will we be worthy of passing the Torah down to the next generation, living our people's highest values, and asking our children to do the same. Shabbat Shalom.